This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. On this episode of Ragcast Outdoors, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Troy Linder. Troy is a world-class fisherman who has fished all over the world. Troy is also the host of the Angling Buzz TV show through Linder Media. Troy is well-recognized around the fishing industry for his success in tournament fishing. He's notorious for finding urban fisheries and being able to fish just about anywhere. On this episode, we go through tips and tricks of how to fish just about anywhere in the country, no matter whether you're driving by a stream, pond, lake, whatever it might be. Troy shares some insights on things that you might want to pack along with you for the road trip, and different strategies and ways that you can fish for just about anything that swims. So we hope that you'll enjoy this episode of Ragcast Outdoors. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. All right, welcome to another episode of Ragcast Outdoors. I'm your host today, Patrick Edwards, and I know you guys are going to be disappointed, but David couldn't make it today. He is on the road with Bo Spider. He's down in Texas, and so we're hoping that he has safe travels home. So he's he's on the road doing his thing with Bo Spider, and might as well mention Bo Spider while we're talking about it. If you guys are bow hunters and you need an easier way to pack your bow, um, whether it be a spot and stock hunt out west or if you're out east and you're in a tree stand, you definitely should check, check out the Bow Spider. It makes your life a whole lot easier. It makes it easier to pack your bow anywhere. So definitely go to bowspider.com. Check out that product. Give David some support. It is an American-made company. See what you can do to support them. A couple other quick things. Uh, we do have our big spring giveaway still going on, so you still have a little bit of time to get out there and put your name in the hat for this drawing. Uh, again, thank you to PK Lures, High Mountain Seasonings, Bow Spider, Outdoor Edge, and, of course, Radcast Outdoors. We have a huge package, hundreds of dollars worth of stuff, whether it be fishing stuff, um, all kinds of different things in that package. And also Fremont Stoneworks threw in some really cool custom glasses for you guys. So if you haven't entered yet, you can go to radcastoutdoors.com, put your name in the hat for that drawing, and we'll get that given away in the month of May. So today, really excited. Uh, I have a guy on the show here that a lot of you, if you're in the fishing world or have been for a while, you're going to know who he is. I have Mr. Troy Linder on the phone. Troy, how you doing? I'm doing well. How you doing? I'm doing awesome. And uh, Troy, he's he's been traveling around the world, fishing, doing lots of different things in the outdoor <laughs> industry for a long time. <laughs> Big time on the fitness and uh, you know fishing guru. I guess that's what the way I would categorize you. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah. kind of catches a little bit of everything. And so, I just wanted to have you tell everybody just a little bit about yourself and what you're currently doing. Yeah, well, first off, it's really great to be here and, and uh, the opportunity here to, to uh, spend some time on the phone. I wish I was out there in Wyoming. I really wanted to get some spring fishing in over there, and unfortunately, I, I couldn't quite make it happen with my schedule. I'm here in Minnesota currently working on a show, Angling Buzz, uh, which I host now. I think it's the sixth season here at Linder Media. They produce it, and it's for the upper... Mid, well, I guess the upper Midwest, uh, the North Country, also what, what we call it, and it's 
airs on Valley Sports, formerly Fox Sports, and that's um, kind of my my early summer, late spring work when I come up here and work, work on this production, and it's a lot of fun. You know, it's it's you know from the inception some years ago, you know, looking at the first year of it to where you know to where we are now. You know, just the the evolution of the website, the social media, the guide reports, and it's it's a tips, know-how, current reports, everything from the upper Midwest, uh, but also, you know, all the information can obviously be used, you know, anywhere in the country, you know, for walleye, panfish, bass, etc. And, and, you know, that's, that's been a big part of, um, you know, my, you know, my career up here, as well as hosting the Ontario Experience, which due to the border closing has kind of been a little bit tricky that, that, uh, yeah, I kind of paused that, you know, you know, till the border opens back up, won't be able to get up and do that, but still working with Ontario to, to promote, you know, to promote tourism there. And I think when the border does open, it will be absolutely once in a lifetime epic fishing up there at those lodges. Yeah, I have a feeling that the uh, airline ticket sales are going to go nuts and it's going to be really hard to get in there and go do some fishing because everybody's been waiting. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's just different times right now. But, I mean, you, you've stayed busy you've and you've done a lot of different things in your career, um, you know, traveling around, doing tournaments. And um, so we'll get into all that stuff. But, you know... It, this this episode, I really want to focus on some of your bread and butter stuff that I really enjoy about you is that, you know, there's there's a lot of guys that go out and they fish from boats and they they kind of all do some similar type stuff. And then mm-hmm. I follow you because you do a lot of shore angling, which I also do a lot of. And it's it's uh, it's kind of cool to go to an urban fishery and do some of that. And so we'll get into some tips and tricks on that. But I want to start off, you know, I mean, you you've been in a fishing family your whole life. I mean, you were, you yes, were, you were born into it, man. I mean, mm-hmm. you were, you know, I, I, we had your dad on uh, a couple months ago, I guess now. And, you know, just talking about, you know, raising you guys and um, having you in the fishing industry. And so when you were a young man, you know, what was your favorite outdoor activity? I mean, I'm guessing it was fishing, but what was your favorite thing to do? Yeah, growing up, you know, fishing, you know, in Minnesota in a small lake, you know, dirt roads. We grew up on really dirt driveway, dirt roads. And, you know, you had the outdoor, you know, you ran, you climbed trees, you fished. Didn't really get into hunting because we just fished so much. We mm-hmm. did a little bit of duck hunting. But when we're out there, you know, we set up the blinds and we're just, you know, sitting on shore. Like, I always think, man, fish are biting out there. So, <laughs> <laughs> much as I, you know, I enjoyed that, um, you know, it was primarily, you know, primarily fishing. And, and, you know, I did do, I guess, for other activity into skateboarding um, when my knees were much much more tolerant of something like that <laughs> as you get older it kind of changes but you know the early activities like you know fishing number one and i was you know for a number of years i was big into skateboarding i really i really liked that sport and it was an easy thing to do you know you just needed a just needed a driveway and some concrete um and um you know skateboarding that's it um and a nice you know uh, physical activity, you know, you get scuffed up a little bit, it's all right. You know, you dust it off and you learn. And those are two of my bigger childhood activities. Obviously fishing was number one, uh, for sure. 
Yeah, your dad said that <clears throat> you were pretty much outside casting docks and walking shorelines from about as you know, <laughs> as soon as you could start carrying a fishing rod. Yeah, so. exactly. So what was that defining moment that really got you hooked on fishing? I mean, I think most fishermen have that one memory that really sticks out in their mind of, you know, this is when I was like, man, this is the coolest thing ever. So what was that for you? Uh, there is probably, there's probably a, well, that's a good question. I think there's probably a, you know, a couple of them. But one of the ones I was just uh, thinking of was when I caught a really big largemouth bass off. I used to go on the dock and, and I'd fish live frogs. I'd catch a frog and go out there. And I remember one uh, one evening, boy, it was the biggest bass. I, I don't know how big it was. It might only been like four, you know, four pounds. But for a young kid, that's like that's a monster. Uh, I mean, it's like a fish of a lifetime. And I remember that. I remember catching that fish, and he got photo. I got a photo of it, and I still have a little Polaroid, you know, photo of that fish. And at the time, that was like you know, for many years, I never measured it. I don't quite know how big it was. But that was like, boy, that was like like winning the winning the Bassmaster Classic <laughs> when you're little <laughs> like that. <laughs> well, and they fight so hard. I mean, that just makes it so much fun. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So you know, you're growing up, like I said, in the fishing world. So what was it like growing up in the Linder House? And you know, I mean, what did you guys do? I mean, what was what was day to day like? <laughs> well, the you know the. I guess everything revolved around fishing. Anytime at any family gathering, Thanksgiving, Christmas, you know, when the family got together, you know, it was pretty much all about, or not all about fishing, but revolved around fishing, the fishing business. So there was no real separation. And then, you know, it just kind of blended with everyday life because it was such a, um, a big part of everything from my cousins, my dad, my uncle, um, and everybody, you know, for the most part, you know, had a part in it and was directly related, you know, involved in it. And I guess you grow up and you don't really notice it, you know, until you kind of get older and maybe step back and look at it. But when, when it's just a part of, you know, dad, he would go away, be on the road for whatever, 200, 250 days a year. And that's, that was normal. Didn't even think anything about it. And he was, you know, trying to build in fishermen and, and, um, trying to go out to the sales packages, go film, build the company and, and all that. So you don't even think it's just, that was normal. It's normal for him to be gone that long, uh, for those periods of time. And, and that's kind of what, you know, that it was normal for, to see him on TV on TNN Saturdays, you know? Yeah. And, and it, you know, the, um, you know, the travel mom really held down the, the household when he was gone and, 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 um, it just was, you know, I guess it was just, you know, life and, and, you know, in the summers, you know, going to camp fish, going up, you know, going there and, and everything, even when he traveled, it took a little vacation. It was kind of around fishing. So even, even a little vacation somewhere or family vacation somewhere, you know, go film a TV show so you could write it off and, um, and kind of double dip, I guess, on that. So everything was, it's somewhat manner revolved around fishing. <laughs> yeah, I've been accused of that in my household. <clears throat> my, <laughs> my my wife says, "Yeah, so we're going camping. So where? What fishing spot are we going to be camping next to?" <laughs> so it's well, I think that's same. a fair question. <laughs> yeah, it is a fair question. I mean, if I'm going to go camping, there better be something to fish for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you need to need a good trout stream or something to get something. some fresh, you know, fresh trout or, or walleye or something that. 
It's very important. Yes, it is. For everybody. <laughs> See, we got our priorities straight. I'll, I'll let her know. Yeah. I'm not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a question I've been wanting to ask you for a long time. Um, you have a good relationship with your dad, and I do as well. And fishing was a big part of my upbringing. And um, I lost my mom when I was young. And so my dad and I, we would spend a lot of time fishing. And that was just our mm-hmm. way to connect with each other and and you know, we didn't even have to say a word. It's just nice to be out there together. And so, you know, mm-hmm. what was your favorite, you know, memory of fishing with your dad? Oh man, let's see. I just think of private. Um, hmm, the Canadian. You know what? The, there was a Canadian trip. I was pretty young. Uh, There's two trips in particular. I was fairly young. My brother was with as well on both of these. Where one time we went up to Canada. And I don't know, I don't think it was too far into Canada. We stayed, we camped on an island, you know, in the tents and cooked and shore lunch. You know, gosh, I was so, I was so young during that, that trip, but I still have, you know, memories of it, big memories of it. That was very memorable. And, and another one a little bit older was when we went to Alaska and that was, we went up there to film a couple of TV shows, uh, and, that's where we saw grizzly bears, and it was the, probably my first trip into the, you know, up into the, the far north wild. Even when we went to Canada, we didn't go that far. Right. You know, up when we went on, I think we stayed on Kodiak Island, grizzlies everywhere. And that, that was just, I was too, I was so young, like I don't, too young to really absorb it all. The You know, just the, how spectacular Alaska is, and, 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 yeah, I was 11 years old or something, 12, you know, still very young to not really looking back now how just how special a trip that was. Um, but that was when probably that Alaska trip was, was quite, quite something, I, you know, seeing the bears and the fishing. That was something else. That was really awesome. Yeah, I think I was eight years old. <clears throat> I went, went on a trip with my mom and dad. My dad worked with the game and fish here in Wyoming and he had a conference up there. So my mom and I tagged along and I remember flying into Anchorage and just the, the mountains were just incredible. I mean, I've lived in Wyoming my mm-hmm. whole life. We've got mountains, but yeah. there's something different about those mountains. I mean, they're, <laughs> they kind of swallow you yeah. when you fly into Alaska mm-hmm. and it's just a, that's a cool experience. So I, I can definitely. Yeah. The vastness of their wilderness there in the mountains is incredible. Yeah, it's, it's an enormous state. I, I was telling David, mm-hmm. you know, he, we were talking on the phone, he's driving across Texas, and Texas is big, but Alaska mm-hmm. is huge. <laughs> it's crazy how <laughs> big it is. That's true. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. so, you know, you're in the fishing industry. What made you realize that that's what you wanted to do with your life? I mean, you know, when, when was that moment of, you know, I want to I get into this industry, and this is what I want to do? Uh, let's see. It was probably, you know, I was a, a personal trainer in Los Angeles for, for, for a long time, you know, for almost 15 plus years. And in the last, you know, few years of doing probably the last five years of doing that, I, I would come back and I, I didn't fish a whole lot in Los Angeles. Um, but I did a little bit, you know, and when I'd come back, home for a little while during the summer or I'd come back for a few weeks and we'd go fish the Rainy Lake uh, tournament, the Canadian Bass Championship. And I always just had a, had a really great time. And it was some of the only fishing I did throughout the year. And, and I just remember how 
just like it just kind of recharged i would get after that and you know and i remember talking to my dad said i'd like to you know kind of dip my toes back into fishing you know i've been away from it for a while and and kind of try out maybe fish a couple tournaments and you know and that's where i kind of i didn't jump all in i kind of got got back into it slowly after after being away from it for a long time and it slowly kind of built up from there but the spark i think fishing those those canadian the family time going up to to rainy lake um at fort francis and fishing the canadian bass championship uh each summer we'd go up there the cousins would go up there too and I think that's what uh, slowly started to reignite, you know, the passion that I had for it. Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, I, this, <laughs> some of those fisheries are some of the best anywhere, and mm-hmm. start yeah. hooking up with fish up there and having a good time. It's kind of hard to leave, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Very true. laughs> so, you know, as far as your outdoor career, who are some of the more influential? I'm assuming your dad's on that list and Ron, but mm-hmm. um, who else really influenced your career? Uh, so, yeah. So, I, you know, my, my, my father, my uncle, for sure, my mother, uh, you know, her strength, just, you know, what she battled with cancer, heart surgery, you know, that she's been a real rock in our family. Uh, intermediate family and and you know in the when i lived in los angeles there was a uh, a gentleman elio samame and he owned a, a private gym and, and kind of helped guide me into the you know starting my own little personal training solo business there and and um and he was one person kind of a fitness mentor a little bit um and that, you know, that's one guy that, that on the fitness side definitely, uh, influenced my life. And, you know, outside of the, you know, outside of the family, um, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not really sure. I kind of, you know, I read a lot of books from authors, but I don't know them personally. I've never been in touch with them, Right. but, you know, I try to pull from different, you know, like Paul check and some of the things that he teaches and teaches over the years for, health and fitness and and in that and um but i i I met him a couple times i've taken you know a couple courses from him but you know on the fit you know from the fitness side paul check um definitely uh one person that has influenced at least the way you know my my fitness beliefs and and um you know some of my outlook on the whole nutritional health industry as a whole Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are a couple of people. I guess outside of like you know my 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 parents and my uncle. Sure. Well, I mean, you had great mentors. That really helps when you're <laughs> when you're getting into these you know types of things, whether it be fishing or fitness. You, you know, everybody needs mm-hmm. a good mentor for those. So that's that's really great. And you know, mm-hmm. there are times you're you're referred to as the wandering fisherman. So tell me what that's all about. Oh, the the wandering fisherman. Well, uh, let's see. I should be a few years ago. I. I took, uh, uh, I was in Southern California in Los Angeles. I took hosting classes. They have classes there for everything. So I took this, you know, how to be a, a TV host specifically for Shannon O'Dowd taught the, taught the course, a really great, I learned so much from that course. Oh my gosh. And, and just about presence on TV and how to get over nerves and how to correct when you're flubbing up, what to do, what not to do. 
uh, so the best version of yourself and the, the authentic version of yourself comes across to, you know, the camera. And and, she, and we did this worksheet thing where we had to de- kind of define, we had to come up with a, a, a brand for ourselves. And, our, and, and that's where I came. We went and we just brainstormed. It was during one of the, uh, one of the classes and I went outside and said a sheet of paper and was writing down notes and scribbling a sheet of paper. And I'm like the wandering fisherman. And it came up and that's where I got kind of the name for that. And it wasn't necessarily for myself. It was more, it was kind of an idea of this outdoorsman, the, the, the one, you know, or a wandering, the wandering fisherman, but you know, sure. it was a wandering fisherman who, you know, I believe is, Many people, you know, people that just like to, to enjoy the outdoors, fish different, you know, fish different areas, hike, explore. And and I think that's what, you know, the wandering fisherman means. It's probably more I could take up the, you know, as just wandering fishermen. You know, <laughs> that no, that's that's great. I Larry Dahlberg and you both have that in common, you know, going all mm-hmm. over the place and fishing different areas. <laughs> We had him yeah. a while back, and man, that guy, oh, nice. he's been everywhere, I think. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. he's got some stories. Oh, man, he, yeah, he has some stories. always great when I used to see him at, at ICAST every year when we had ICAST, and I used to catch up, and we would just go talk about a lot of things. I really, yeah, yeah. I went to ICAST one year when it was in Vegas, and I, I remember seeing, there There was two things that were kind of interesting to me and you, you've been there, so you understand how it all works. But the, a lot of people don't realize it's just, there's so many people. It's, it's crazy. You're in this massive convention mm-hmm. center. There's people everywhere. And I remember seeing your dad and I told him this story, you know, he walks up and I'm like, Oh cool. I get to go thank him, you know, for his influence on my life. And next thing you know, there's like 50 people around him. And I, I mean, I, I couldn't even get close to him. So I was like, well, you know, so much for that. (laughs) I I was working with PK lures and working on a project. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I'll just go back and work on some more stuff. And then I saw Larry Dahlberg and he was over Uh at the, I think it was the Shimano booth or something like that. And so I was Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to go over and say hi to Larry. And same thing, man. Mm -hmm. It was just like, well, I guess I'll do that another time. So the podcast (laughs) has been good because now I get to talk to some people that, you know, I wasn't able to talk to then. So Mm -hmm. it works Mm -hmm. out, but that is a cool experience that I cast. It's, it's kind of, but, but, Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, your dad talked about this a little bit and I knew about this, but you went to school in Arizona. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, you, you went from (laughs) Minnesota, which is, very different fishing, but similar in some ways, but I mean, very different area to Arizona. I mean, they're just so different as far as landscape and, you know, there's a few different species and whatnot. And so tell me a little bit about what it was like, you know, going across the country, going to college and still fishing there and what you kind of had to do to, to stay engaged with fishing while you're in college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Arizona state university was a really, you know, it was a really fun experience in my one of the main reasons I went down there was my brother lived in town there. So he, and he still lives out there in the Phoenix area. And actually at the time, my cousin Lisa and um, her husband, Billy, they lived out there. Uh, so I had a family out there and there's a few other people also from Brainerd out there as well. There's kind of a small Brainerd, Minnesota community that, that was living in Phoenix uh, during that time. And, and Phoenix is just a great, it's uh, the urban fishing there is so good. Uh, limited species, obviously, you know, for a, for a climate like that, and it's 
it's really grown even since I've uh, gone to college there, but it, it was a lot of fun just during college and the weekend, go out to one of these lakes, go catch carp and more carp, common carp, go catch bass in the ponds. And, the, and there was a lot of like little urban fisheries all, you know, kind of peppered throughout, you know, the Valley of the Sun there. And, and that's where, you know, I really got to, you know, get into some shore fishing and fine tune. Some of my early days of shore fishing was, was done there during college for, again, like a more carp, catfish, koi. Um, and also, I mean, these are all artificial lakes. You know, nothing was, you know, no natural lakes there. So, you know, they stock them and the fish grow up in there. So, yeah, Phoenix it was, you know. Phoenix isn't known for water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's very, very true. And, and their, you know, their their urban fishery program there is really fantastic. I think they have twenty or twenty five um, public park lakes there that they have, and that's not including, you know, another twenty or so. Probably, you know, it's probably fifty lakes if you include all the the housing complexes, you know, and they're not including any golf course course ponds, but just all the like Arrowhead lakes and all these lake communities. And that there's, gosh, there's got to be at least more than 40 there's a lot of fishing there not you know and you also have the salt river going through there and then the bigger you know saguaro roosevelt Bartlett, and that that are close by you know not too far out yeah and well, I bet, not a bad place to fish yeah and i bet it was nice i know for me in college it's always nice after you're done studying it's like okay let's go do something outside because i mean you mm-hmm. about go crazy you know after studying in the library or doing whatever so it's kind of nice to have a little break so yeah um, so before we get into, you know, some of the tips and tricks, I got to talk about another one of our sponsors. And I was telling you before we started this show, I went to uh Boyson this past, well, it was on Sunday and, um, I tried out the new PK rattle spoon, which was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I went and did some, uh, nice. what you would call snap jigging. So I was kind of trolling okay. along slow and just letting the spoon fall to the bottom, ripping it off the bottom and letting it fall and ripping it and, uh, took my dad and we, we caught every single rainbow we caught was over 20 inches, which was fun. Um, oh my they, gosh. They, wow. They fight great. And we caught a nice walleye as well. And so, you know, guys, if, if you're out there and you want a great spoon to snap jig, definitely check out the PK rattle spoon. You can pick those up at pklure.com. Um, I mean, it was, it was so much fun just to get out. It was so Troy, you'll, you'll appreciate mm-hmm. this Sunday. It was like a high of 60 calm, beautiful monday morning it's a snowstorm 20 degrees uh oh my God. snow coming in sideways that's typical wyoming for you but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know you never know from day to day i was like man no one would even believe me if they had been out on the water with me sunday compared to what it's like on monday it's just totally different but um anyway guys definitely go out support our sponsor pk lures uh, we really appreciate them sponsoring this podcast and so troy you know Urban fishing is a little bit different than, you know, like here in Wyoming, if you're going to go high, high mountain lake fishing, or if you're going to go to Minnesota and fish, you know, mm-hmm. fish there. I mean, it's just a totally different environment. So gearing up for urban fishing and, and I mean, I know for me, a lot of times I'm driving around a car around the state. And so fitting your tackle into the car and having the right stuff is really important. So what kind of tips and what kind of gear would you suggest people take if they're listening to this and maybe they're at Arizona state or some other school where they have urban fisheries. So what would you suggest that they pack around and that they have with them when they're going to do that? 
yeah, you can pack, you can, you can get pretty, you can really narrow things down you know, just through a couple of fishing rods. I like the Avatrek, St. Croix Avatrek. They have these three-piece rods that are fantastic. They also have four-piece rods in their Triumph Travel Series. And they, they're both, they break down into these hard case, you know, that can easily be stored, you know, in a backpack or in, um, you know, in the back of your vehicle. And, and I've taken those around, you know, I've taken those through a lot of plane trips and there are many different countries. I beat them up pretty hard and they last. And they're very, very strong. And, they're, and, and the multi-piece rods are great for storage. And and great for they said if you're traveling you can throw them in your backpack they easily you don't have to have your you know a six foot rod leaning up in the corner if you know if your storage space is limited and then a backpack you know with just a couple boxes of tackle I mean if, for carp fishing pretty simple you know split shot small you know I use some VMC number four number six single hooks with the, with a split shot. And then, um, you know, bread, you know, it's hard to beat, you know, just plain white bread for, for that. And you can also, you know, with the same hooks, the same split shot, you know, put some dough bait on it if you're fishing trouts. And if you have fluorocarbon line, six pound fluorocarbon, that's going to be great for trout, for bass. Um, if the walleye are too big, you can fish walleye with that. You can fish carp with that if they don't get monstrous. Um, <laughs> um, and if it, in a lot of these urban ponds, there's no, you know, there's usually nothing, if there's nothing for them to get snagged into, it's, you're fine. And I've got a lot of, you know, some very, very big carp on lighter line and I don't have to switch my rods out. I have like a medium, medium light and the medium rod, I, I use braid with a fluorocarbon or monofilament leader. And then the other rod is just straight six pound uh, suffix advanced fluorocarbon. That's what I use for trout. We've got brown trout, brook trout, rainbows, browns, largemouth, walleye, carp. And it's just an all-around, you know, setup. You have a size 2,500 reel, spinning reel, you know, for both. It's just fine. Um, and a small little swim bait, if I didn't know anything or anything about the water, a uh, quarter-ounce jig head and an eighth-ounce jig head with a small three-inch three or three-and-a-half-inch swim bait on there. And you can snap jig that for walleye. You can snap jig it for trout. You can slow roll it for walleye, bass, trout, and and it's just an all around. You know the the same, the jig head swim bait is probably the best single all around fishing lure ever. Mm-hmm. You know, I've caught everything from king salmon to carp. On <laughs> I, mean, I wouldn't <laughs> use it for carp, but I've had carp hit the swim bait in the mud. You know, oh, yeah. I've caught them before. So and and a jerk bait if you are shore fishing. Yep, you don't want something that you know that if you're fishing something with treble hooks you don't really want it on the bottom so a, a suspending or floating jerk bait is great like a rabla x wrap or a regular husky jerk mm-hmm. that can be used for again anything calm carp or not carp um i think about carp all the time i've but, caught carp uh, on the x wrap before have you <laughs> yes well that is the other thing it's, it's, uh, yeah they are <laughs> an amazing fish that will hit a big bait, a, a bait with treble hooks, uh, you know, they will hit crankbaits and it's, it is bizarre. You know, you think you got the record walleye or bass oh, on. <laughs> I have that story. I So 10 years ago, I remember this really well because I swore I had the state record walleye on my line because I just caught a 28-incher and released it probably 20, oh. 20 minutes before. <laughs> 
I get this hit oh and God. I mean, it's peel and drag. I'm like, Oh man, I have a, a huge <laughs> walleye and I'm running down the shoreline over rocks yeah. and boulders and everything else, trying to make sure uh-huh. I don't lose this fish. Cause I'm fishing six, yeah. six pound mono. And oh my God. anyway, I get it up to the bank and I'm like, that's a carp. <laughs> I can't believe a carp oh hit this God. thing. And I mean, it was a number eight glass ghost, you know, X wrap. And I'm just like, you gotta oh be kidding gosh. me. But yeah, they'll hit them. Yeah, it is weird. It is a, a weird thing. To, I mean, carp will, yeah, they're not afraid to hit a jerk bait, a crank bait, a jig. Um, my preferred, I just bread, you know, bread, bread works just fine, but they, those heart, you know, those stories are like that. Whenever, whenever you're fishing something else for walleye or bass, and you hook into it, you're like, "Oh, this is a big get. Get that net ready. <laughs> this is a giant." And then you're like, "Oh my gosh, it's a carp! Like, what the heck?" Mm-hmm. And sometimes channel cats too. I mean, they they pull like, "Oh yeah, so yeah. It's like, "Whoa, I got something That's huge!" Point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't know what mm-hmm. it is, and I mean, they'll hit cranks in those swim baits too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think my favorite, <laughs> I, I would have to agree with you on this for sure, is like I have a pack, a backpack that I take and when I'm shore angling and I always have number eight X-wraps because they, I mean, you they catch everything. I mean, I catch trout, mm-hmm. I catch bass, it doesn't matter. And it just works reliably well. And that that's an mm-hmm. important thing as well about lures is they have to work reliably well. You don't mm-hmm. have to really tune them or anything. I mean, out of the box there excellent lures yeah yeah that's yeah that that size x-rep is really that's a nice you know perfect size for a variety of different fish and it just yeah you can just i mean you control that thing you can rip it quick you can just slow reel it in it's just with fish there's a reason why jerk baits are so effective throughout the entire season they're easy to fish and they usually don't you know they just go down a few feet so you don't have to worry too much, you know, for the most part about snagging them on the bottom or you know, so they're, they're, they're a nice, easy bait to fish low. Um, I don't know, be snag, snag ratio to cast. <laughs> yeah. And you know, again, and you don't have to tune. There's nothing. You just take it out of the package and you just cast it. Yep. Um, and if anything bumps it, it's a fish. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, I was going to mm-hmm. ask you, do you keep any, you know, spoons or top waters or anything like that in your bag? Top waters, not too much. If I'm bass fishing, uh, during the summer, summertime, if I shore, if I'm shore fishing for bass braid, heavy braid with a frog, you know, um, like a Terminator frog is a, a good option for me because that can just fish, you know, so weedless. You can throw it around the around the weeds, over weeds, through stuff. You don't have to worry about it getting snagged up. And then the heavy line, you can pretty much pull free from anything. And in top water for smallmouth, a uh, skitter prop. Oh yeah, you know, from river river fishing and and like in current, boy, the smallmouth love skitter props. Yeah, they let it. Yeah, that that is one of my favorites. That lure is awesome, and I love Larry Dahlberg's uh, Whopper Plopper. I I use that mm-hmm. the smaller. Well, it's not the smallest. It's like the ninety, and that mm-hmm. that thing. Oh man, <laughs> smallmouth, large yeah. mouth, pike, <laughs> tiger muskies. You name it, they like it. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. a, that's a fun one. That's a great lure. Yeah. So this is one thing I I think a lot of people they they're like, okay, I've got my gear, I've got my bag, I'm gonna run out there and I'm gonna fish this area. What should they be looking for? So when you pull up on an urban fishery, 
what are you looking for as far as places to start and things, you know, just to kind of have in mind before you get started? Usually if I'm looking my travels across the state, number one thing I look for is bridges. And so I fish a ton of rivers. They usually follow the, the highway. They'll follow the interstates and they'll follow the back roads. So I usually look for culverts and bridges. And, and primarily, number one is bridges. Bridges just hold fish. They're fish magnets. They hold everything. Mm-hmm. Everything uses a bridge. And that would be the number one thing. And also, when you're using Google Earth, it's so easy to see them. You look in your drive. You just look for the blue areas that are on there. You look for a bridge. Drop a little a pin on there and, and then go check it out. And, and that's probably the number one location without knowing anything about the water or, or even what's in there, bridges, number one. And for ponds, you know, for urban lakes, I would look for any inf- culverts or in wherever the water's coming in from a little creek or a culvert or aerator. That would be number one, moving water. Sure. For everything, absolutely everything. Whatever's, whatever's, whatever's used in that little pond or culvert, if there's, if there's water pouring in, they're usually that's a really that'd be where I would I would start fishing or the aerators wherever the aerators are coming up you have high oxygenated water there and it's also pushing around you know circulating all the stuff off the bottom and it's it's uh it can be a, a fantastic uh you know spot just fish are going to live there they're going to feed there bait fish can hang out in there so yeah no that's those are a couple of areas yeah that's great I. I was, so I work for, um, my primary job is working for a college doing recruitment. And so I get to travel Mm -hmm. around and fish different places around Wyoming, Colorado, Nebraska, and different things while I'm on the road, you know, working. So I remember Mm -hmm. this one, one trip, you talked about bridges and, uh, causeways, that kind of stuff. And I was Mm -hmm. driving in Wyoming and I'm going to keep the spot a little bit of a secret, but, um, (laughs) there is this one particular bridge that I stopped at. And I mean, it it had been a long day. It was the end of my day. I had to drive over a pass to get to the next town. And I I saw this bridge and I was like, I'm going to stop here and fish for just a few minutes. And so hopped out of the vehicle, grabbed my rod, went down to the water and I just had a a PK spin a jig. It's just a, it's a jig. And I put a, mm-hmm. a Berkeley, uh, power minnow on it and like a four inch minnow. And then, uh, you know, it's got a little prop on the, uh, up, up above the jig head that just spins mm-hmm. in the okay. water. So I go right. down under this bridge and I know kind of what species are there, but I was like, I'll just throw it out there a few times and see if something hits. And it was on like my third or fourth cast. I caught a 12 inch black crappie. So I was like, well, oh, that's, wow. that's kind of cool, okay. you know? And so I, put it back and fished a little bit longer and caught another one. And then I moved up kind of on the, I guess it'd be the upstream side of the the bridge and mm-hmm. tossed up by the piling. And I thought I got hung up. I mean, it was just like, it just stopped. And so I started yeah. pulling on it and then it started pulling back. I was like, Oh, it's a fish. This is good. And so start, <laughs> start reeling it in and it ended up being, I think it was around five pounds. It was a 23 inch sauger. And, oh my uh, god! A twenty-three inch sauger. Yeah, it was a That's massive a sauger. <laughs> and I could. That's a big one. It was the thickest sauger I've ever seen. I put my hand. I took a picture of this. I'll send it to you. But I put my hand around mm-hmm. the back of his head to pick him up out of the water because I didn't have you know my other stuff with me. I just grabbed him and picked him up. I could barely get my hand around his head and his shoulders, and uh, unhooked him, got a picture, and put him back and. 
I mean that you're right. I mean those those bridges wow. they hold some amazing fish. And I mean channel cat, mm-hmm. sauger, walleye, trout. It doesn't matter. They're they're hanging out mm-hmm. there. So that's mm-hmm. really great advice. Um, what are some big mistakes that people make when they when they're fishing these either urban fisheries or just you know places that they're shore fishing? What are some mistakes that people should avoid? I think one actually one common. One common mistake I see, especially with trout fishing, is using a really heavy weight. And I see people in, in too heavy a line. You're going out there, and, and for the most part, a lot of the put-and-take lakes, these trout, they're, you know, they're 12, 13, 14, 15 inches, and they're fishing with 12-pound, you know, 12-pound more heavier line with like a two-ounce weight. And amps do not need to, you know, you don't need to do that. And, and many times I go to those places, with braid with you know a uh, six pound braid with four pound fluorocarbon leader and i throw flies so i throw out uh, woolly buggers i like woolly buggers mm-hmm. and i just cast it on a spinning rock i can't cast it out too far but man it's perfect you know especially if i don't have much time in these spots like so i don't want to bring you know some fly gear and, and and a lot of times there's overgrown things you just not conducive to fly fishing and i think keeping it simple with that, you know, something like that. I mean, a woolly, when you're trout fishing, a woolly bugger is probably one of my absolutely favorite lures for trout because you can fish it on a spinning rod, on a really light spinning rod. And and I see anglers, trout fishing, just use too heavy a line and very heavy weights, especially when some of these ponds are maybe 10 feet deep, it's clear water, and I see them casting out like a two-ounce weight, and I'm like, there's no need for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's your old, you know, the the gear is just way too big for the fish and then you can fish circles around just use four pound or even six pound monofilament you know at the most and just put in a split shot with a little bead and you know and a a little tiny little hook and some dough on there and just wait on that the lighter the line the more bites you're going to get period especially with trout um they can be extremely line sensitive as they can be for you know, for bait, as with all, you know, a lot of fish, but, you know, especially trout in smaller and smaller waters, especially ponds. And that's one thing I see. And also, and with the moving to bass, say for drop shot, is overworking the drop shot. You know, drop shot's a very common, you know, extremely effective technique. And I use, for the most part, 8 to 12, 12 inch drop on it. I use a six inch worm with like a number one, number two hook. And then just drag it in the way the, the, just the motion of you reeling and, and barely moving the rod, you're going to get plenty of action on that. And I see people overwork the drop shot. I mean, you don't even really have to shake it much. It's, you know, if you got a roll worm on there or, or something like that, the action is, is plenty more than enough. Um, and, and for, swim bait fishing, I would crawl it super, super slow. I like to, when the fish are touchy, use like an eighth ounce jig head with a small three inch swim bait or, or three and a quarter inch swim bait and just crawl the bottom with it. And, and you can, when they're kind of touchy or pressured, you can really, really outfish a lot of baits that way. And, and the same thing would be kind of with a Ned rig too, mm-hmm. kind of that real slow drag, real slow where the baits kind of always moving, but just barely. Right. So, what about approaches too? Because I I know here in Wyoming, if you're approaching a, a small trout stream, the approach is also pretty important. What do you do when you're 
you know, working your way up to a spot on a, a small trout stream? Yeah, I'm usually looking a lot depending on the sun angle. I know I try not to get my shadow in the water if I'm up on a bank and being careful that my even my rod, like the shadow, isn't going into the water and they don't really see me a lot of times I'll crouch I'll crouch down and but they are touch. I mean they, you move them and they'll they'll they'll, they'll skitter away. So I usually if I see where they're at and I usually walk way upstream not way upstream, but far enough upstream. I'll see if they're behind a boulder. They're in a current seam. As if the water's clear enough that I can see, actually see them in the water. And I usually go upstream and I'll make, you know, and do a swing cast into the current where the bait will swing. You know, if I'm using an inline spinner or, you know, many, many times just a woolly bugger and then just having that swing right in front of them. And they just kind of see that come out of nowhere and they grab it. And, and for the most part, when I'm fishing trout, in the streams, I'm, I'm 90% of the time upstream, and probably even more. Um, I know some people go downstream, cast upstream, you know, float it. But I'm usually upstream keeping the bait in place or, you know, right in front of where I think. You know, if I'm throwing little swim baits, sometimes I'm just bare. I'm just letting it kind of sit in the current, and some of those currents seem just kind of in place, and the fish come up and grab it. Really effective. Long casts. And, uh, and long casts. Yeah, long casts are really important because um, mm-hmm. it's it's all about the amount of time that your lure's in the water in the <laughs> yep. zone. So if it's mm-hmm. real short, it's hard to it's hard to get them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I agree mm-hmm. with you. That's that's really good, really good advice. And you know, I I want to change gears just a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I fishing has changed a lot over the last thirty years. I mean, you know, thirty years ago you talk about catch and release people that didn't really know what you were talking about. Um, cause it, I mean, you caught and you ate I mean, that's pretty much mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, and fishing has changed and I've seen this interesting dynamic of you have two different competing, uh, priorities in fishing. You have, you have people who do it for subsistence and protein, and then you have people who don't keep anything. And then you have people like me in the middle <laughs> where I feel like I'm caught in between everybody, but, um, you know, to keep fishing viable and to have strong fisheries, what are your thoughts on, you know, just like catch and release and just some ideas of, you know, how people can be a little bit, you know, better about that or, you know, just some ideas that they might have when they go to a fishery and some things they should think about. Yeah, that's a, it's a, it's a really important topic and I'm, I'm kind of in between, you know, I've I do like to keep some for the table shore lunch when I'm camping and I release nearly everything and especially bass. I never keep bass um, and trout. I only keep trout that are, that are, you know, edible size. Um, and then I, ha- you know, I'm very, very careful with them too. And if I'm keeping them, I'll use barbs. And then if I'm not keeping them many times, I'll use barbless hooks. Even if I can use a barb and just to minimize you know, try to minimize the stress on trivers. You know, they're the bigger ones are pretty tough. You know, the smaller ones are kind of del- <laughs> delicate. Uh, yeah. But a, like a bigger brown trout, that's a mean. That's a pretty tough fish. But you still <laughs> want to be careful. You know, I try to dip my hands. You try to do as much as you can handling the fish. And in the limit, you know, a lot of these, you know, so many fisheries. When you're looking at at panfish, crappie, walleye, you know, the limits five fish. It's like you don't people keep a limit just to keep a limit. 
or they keep too big of a fish when, you know, for walleye, you don't have to keep a 30 inch walleye to eat a 27 inch, 28 inch walleye. You know, when a couple, my gosh, a couple 19 inch walleye, if the, if depending on how the slot is, and you know, there's a lot of variance to this, but you know, keeping enough to eat, um, in the, you know, in the, in, in the near future or, or even that, you know, that, that evening or the next day is, is really important and not necessarily just every time you go out trying to just keep as much as you can just to keep as much as you can. And I see, you know, big stringers, you know, those photos on, on social media and that where it's just almost unnecessary and, you know, and just keeping a little bit, just like going to the grocery store and just, you know, just getting enough, you know, for that week or a couple of days. Um, and that's, you know, that I think more people need to just be more aware of, you know, what they're doing to the fishery and especially if the fishery, if, if there's a really delicate balance in the fishery, like you don't have like keeping back, you know, on a place like, um, uh, I don't know, Malax Lake or something like that, where people keep giant smallmouth bass and that smallmouth fishery's really gone downhill. Same thing like Lake Havasu. Uh, where you have a lot of people going there in the winter and the, the fish are on beds. And they're so, I mean, smallmouth bass on a bed is, I'm not saying it's easy to catch. I'm just saying it's not real difficult. Right. They're so aggressive mm-hmm. that you could throw a cigarette butt, you know, with the, and much to their, their attitude. I love smallmouth. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, if somebody, you know, at a place like Lake Havasu, you see uh, snowbirds and that just keeping giant smallmouth bass. And, and when you can go out there and catch striped bass, which would taste delicious, you know, um, and a big chunk of meat on there. And, and the fisheries, you know, a lot goes back to the state fisheries, the local fisheries, you know, I think especially during when it comes to bass fishing during the spawn is to really limit, you know, either all catch and release or really limit the, you know, lower those limits on panfish, like, these panfish limits like 50 crappie or 50 blue it's like what yeah 50 do you really you know if you're unless you're if you got a family of of six and you you know two you know that might be a couple you know there's some instances where i could see that but for you know you just got a, a couple guys going to keep in 50 crappie it's like what is that necessary right i don't think so especially if they live by the fishery it's easy for them to go out you know you don't dozen crappie that's a that's a lot of nice fillets for two people plenty and you know i think and also the the amount of meat that's on the, the fish i think beluga mike hainer here explained it and we've talked about it on angling buzz the amount of meat that's on the fillet i think when bluegill like how many oh, i wish I, I don't have the stats offhand the amount of meat you fillet off a of bluegill like, a, you know, for six inch, it takes 26 inch bluegill or 36 inch bluegill, but it only takes like five, eight inch bluegill. Mm-hmm. And then when you go up from that, then you're really, you know, then you don't want to keep any 10 inch because those are the, tro- you know, some of the trophy bluegill that can take, you know, 10, 15 years to get that, you know, to get that size where you want that kind of in between size. Like with, like with trout, I'm not going to, you know, it like it depends on the fish. When I say trout, I'm trying like little stream trout. I I wouldn't keep an 18 inch, 19 inch rainbow mm-hmm. like that for a lot of those little streams. Like that's a that's a that's a trophy. You know, I go keep a a little you know a couple little 10, 12 inchers, few of those, and all right, you got a couple little nice you know 
to lays on, on them mm-hmm. and and being selective you know fishery by fishery but also the states to really step back and and really look at some of these fisheries and you know and 50 fish you know 50 pan fish that's a lot you know that, that's that's a ton you know and, and we're talking about trout you know five trout well you know can they put a cat you know no trout over the size what's a nice size trout in this water you know, and I know a lot of the, you know, the, the rain, there's so many water for rainbows are just, you know, put and take and sure. they don't grow very big. So they don't need that. But some of these lakes where to, you know, to really preserve some of the trophy fishing, put a cap on the trout, you know, ra- you know, browns, rainbows, no fish over the size or one fish over whatever, you know, 20 inches or, or something like that, where, you know, people aren't just taking a stringer full of 20 inch, 23 inch, you know, rainbows and browns out of a place, you know, in one day and then multiple people, they can really decimate, decimate the fishery. And, and of course this is broadly, you know, these are broad strokes across North America and the world, and the world. Um, we've seen places like a year and a half ago when I was in, in Thailand and pretty much Thai, you know, Thailand and traveling in China and a lot of those fisheries, they're completely decimated because everybody keeps everything um, and much different, you know, much different way of life there, but with the way that, you know, you get any, I mean, they go, you can just like in Thailand, you can just throw a net in the river, whatever yeah. shows up in the net, they keep, they keep everything. So nothing grows there. There's no, you know, hardly any fish reproduce there. Everything is kept. And, and that's why it's just so hard to keep anything there. Um, and, the, you know, obviously it's a different, total different you know world over there but the over harvesting of fish you know we see that in the oceans you see that with bluefin tuna sharks and all the well that's you know a lot of bycatch in that from the nets but but still like the over harvesting of fish like any game you know that there's a delicate delicate balance and i think a lot of the state fisheries need to look at you know state by state and even region by region where you have different areas where they really need to work with the anglers to educate them and then put up signs, you know, to really let them know and make it aware in these areas and enforce and, and really enforce some of those limits. Yeah. Really, really enforce it out here in the West. And I know you fished for these before, but tiger muskies, that that was a big one about eight to 10 Mm -hmm. years ago. We here in Wyoming, the limit was three per day. And, oh my gosh. And the minimum size was 30 inches and anything above that you could keep. And so the state's spending, you know, I don't even want to say how much, but spending lots of money to raise these fish up to six to eight inches, then stocking them. And then they're there to control rough fish, you know, your, your yeah. white, white sucker and carp and different things. So mm-hmm. by the time they get to 30 inches, they're finally able to start doing their job. And, yeah, you know, they, then people would figure out how to catch them on dead baits and on different, you know, bait fishing techniques. And next thing you know, there's no tiger muskies. And so, um, Mm -hmm. Danny Curtola, he's my fishing mentor. He's a very good fisherman. Um, he and I, you know, we, we were (laughs) complaining about it, but it was like, you know, we got to stop complaining about it. So we approached, um, different fisheries managers and proposed a regulation change. And now, you can keep one tiger muskie over 36 inches and you know, Mm. that's the limit now. And that was the kind of a compromise. We actually wanted it to be Mm. one over 40 and yeah, but 
it's a tough thing because wow. you know especially tiger muskies they don't reproduce so yeah when you take them they're gone and mm-hmm. <laughs> they're there for a reason you know it's like you know you probably don't want to mm-hmm. keep those anyway um, but mm-hmm. one of the things i really struggle with right now is that you know we're trying to get anglers to work together you know so that we have strong fisheries so that we have good relationships so that people see that oh fishing is a fun thing and unfortunately on social media you have the people who you know are the ones who keep everything that they catch you know kind of like you were talking about and then you have the people who don't keep anything and then they just sit there and fight back and forth and it makes all of us look bad and you know mm-hmm. i, I kind of go back to the thing you're talking about you know fisheries managers and regulations is really where it should be um taken care of and like you said enforcement of those regulations so that we can manage the fisheries with science and have strong fisheries so that our kids can go out. You know, I've got four little kids and they love to go fishing and I, I want them to have good fisheries and I want them to be able to enjoy it. But you know, there's the, the shaming of people because they kept a big fish or the shaming of people because you know, it's like, well, you don't put anything back Mm -hmm. and calling them names. That's the kind of stuff I want to see us get away from in the fishing world of, you know, trying to find a way to work together because I'm not going to shame somebody if they don't keep a fish and I'm not going to shame someone if they do, if they're within the yeah. regulations of the water. But I agree with you, like in Wyoming panfish, it's a 50 fish limit and there's no need wow. to keep 50 of them. I mean, <laughs> that's, it's, it's hurt. I know our yellow perch population and voice and a few other places. So, um, cause they don't reproduce fast enough, especially, in you know high mountain reservoirs when fluctuating water levels can really mess up spawning uh, yeah. year, year to year and we've had some well and we're having it again this year we just have low water because of the drought conditions so it is really important but I, i'm glad you shared those thoughts because I, I think those are things people need to be thinking about because fish can be caught again contrary to popular belief you know that if they're mm-hmm. handled properly um, they, they can be caught again. And mm-hmm. we talked about it a little bit with Pete Mena, you know, also knowing when not to fish for certain fish. Like if you're catching big muskies in the middle of July and exposing them, you know, to the elements and getting them out of the water, the chances of survival for a big muskie in the middle of July, when you get 10 pictures in your boat is pretty slim, even if they mm-hmm. swim away. So, you know, those are just things that I think everybody should be thinking about when they go out, you know, and, Again, I'm not shaming anybody or anything. I just think working together is super important on this issue because we all want the same thing. We want to be able to go fishing and catch. <laughs> yeah, very, very true. And in the states, yeah, I think states need to, you know, from the state, they need to change the limits on some of these and they need to enforce it better. And as anglers, we're, we're still complaining to each other on social media. That's going to happen if, if my gut, you know. And usually what I do, like my trout things, I have my camera on um uh, I'm shooting like 4K 60. So I do a lift and it's usually okay and I'll just and then release and it's you know and I gra- I get a screen grab off that and it works perfect um and and also depending on if it's really cold or you know depending on really hot or you know trying to minimize the time that the especially the fish like trout that are in muskie that are very, you know, they can be very delicate. A bass, gosh, a catfish, you could probably 
keep that thing out of the water for 10 minutes and <laughs> or the thing wouldn't even move. Or a Oh my gosh, yeah, carp. I mean, those, those they they are super strong oh, fish. Yeah. They don't, you know, they don't mind in a you know, there's some yeah, and, yeah, you want to minimize it as, as much as you can and, and and I think yeah, I think the state, you know, enforcing that and working with the anglers to identify you know, some some limits that are just too high period they're just really too high and then for keeping you know why would even want to keep a muskie beyond me but um uh, i would never keep a muskie i don't know anybody that's ever kept a muskie but i guess you know eventually you know you got to have one so one over 36 one over 40 you know all right we can compromise on that right and that's fine and then um <laughs> good luck with laying it out whatever you do with the muskie but <laughs> <laughs> when you could keep it you know i i think the fillets on a two-pound pike are probably way 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 better oh, like, you yeah. know fresh small pike you can't even and butter oh my god you can't even tell the difference between that and walleye oh man i and love I think, pike mm-hmm, and i think yeah a fish like that 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 reproduce so well you know and even and educating people people don't like to eat pike they don't like to clean them but then technically all right here's how you clean them and they're readily available in a lot of lakes, and, and many times the populations are, you know, they're they're just there's too many of them, and they're easy to catch, and they're delicious. And get and I think educating people like pike are they are delicious. I've had them for short lunch next to walleye. You can't tell the difference. I mean, they are so so good. The only thing uh, I would say is a little different is they're a little bit more firm, and I like that. It's more. I don't know, more like a steak. It's yeah. really good. Yeah, and they pickle like pickled pike. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. Pickled pie, pickled sucker, oh. even. You know, sucker is mm-hmm. really good for mm-hmm. pickling. Yeah. Yeah, I have, I've, I've ate carp a couple times. And, so what were your you thoughts know, the, on carp? Uh, carp, oh, boy, it's a big, it's a big, uh, you know, su- subject. They're very important to a lot of waters, and especially urban fisheries, where, where, they're just planted in, in a water, you know, it helped clean up the bottom, control the weeds. They're fantastic. A more fantastic. I see the Asian carp that they get into the big rivers and the TBA system and Tennessee system. They need to be controlled. Um, and that's a really poor situation. And the, you know, and then some lakes where there, there's too many of them, just like another fish, they need to, you know, take care of them. Um, and, and carp can be used for, uh, oh my gosh, they're great fertilizer. They can be ground up, I believe, for feed, probably for baiting. You know, I imagine if you went and just froze a carp, cut it up into chunks if you were bear baiting or something. I don't hunt. Right. But I imagine that would probably be a good, you know, piece of bait for whatever you want to bait, you know. Um, and I, th- I think using the carp, you know, I've heard the carp patties are delicious for, you know, for making, um, you know, fish patties. Sure. And, I think there's a lot of uses for carp. They grow well, they grow big, and then controlling them and some of the, and using the carp for a good, you know, like in uh, North Dakota for a good use. Some of the uh, bow fishermen I met with out there using buffalo. He was, you know, they both yeah. there's a they'd go bow, uh, bow fish um, buffalo, and then he brings them to a farmer, their local farmer, and uses it, I believe, for tomatoes and plants them. And he's, you know, he gets hundreds of pounds of, of fresh great fertilizer instead of just throwing the fish up on the bank you know people look down at carp and they don't realize that common carp are a lot smarter than walleye and bass uh, and it's been shown and they live longer 
and you know and there are stronger fish in the rest of the world you know there are prize fish in europe and around the world um and for some reason america we kind of look down on them um which i still don't understand but but there i I like catch you know i mean you take a, a young kid that's just getting into fishing Put a put a ten pound carp on their line. I mean, that's a you know, <laughs> the scream and drag. I mean, that's and then trying to hold the fish up, you know, and, like and, and eat, you know, single hook with a piece of bread, you know, and you see them swimming, and they're, they're a lot of fun. But yep. but controlling them where they are overpopulated, they need to be controlled, and then having a good uh, use case for the carcass, you know, for farmers or having a system set up, I think is really you know. Uh, really important yeah. to keep the whole cycle of life and the balance in, in the earth going. Yeah, we've used them for a lot of different things. <clears throat> I did find that there is a piece of meat that actually is pretty tasty fried up. I, mm. I fried some up next to walleye and no one could tell the difference, but it's kind of along, nice. along the rib cage there. Um, we mm-hmm. caught some small carp and I was like, I'm going to try this and just see what it tastes like. I have no idea. So what I did was I, I flayed off that piece of meat and it, you can tell it's cause some of the other meats a little darker and it's got yellow uh-huh. to it, but this piece yeah. is more of a white color. And so uh, okay. I put it in uh, some brackish water overnight in the fridge. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the next day we, we had some walleye that we fried up and I fried that up with it and I had people test it and I was like, well, how is it? You know? And they're like, Oh man, this is great. And so, I mean, there are pieces that are really good and I've done fish cakes with sucker, white sucker, and that, those taste Mm -hmm. really good. Um, Mm, I mean, there's, there's ways to use these fish and we've used them for fertilizer. We raise pigs out here on my farm and you know, the pigs love any byproducts from fishing that we bring home guts and those kind of things. So, (laughs) you know, there are uses for those kind of things. And I, I think it is important for people to appreciate them. I mean, we, we do have a lake about 10 miles from me that's overrun with them. And they, they've tried everything. They had a commercial fishery in there in the seventies where they tried to fish them out. They've used mm. rope known to knock them down. They've done all kinds of stuff. The only thing they haven't done yet, which I'm hoping they're going to do this year is plant a bunch of tiger muskies in there because I think the tiger muskies will really help. Um, mm-hmm. No. But, yeah. They like, you know, they like a big tasty carp. Oh yeah. And they can eat big ones too. Um, yeah, they can. <laughs> so, um, so we'll see what happens with carp, but I, I agree with you. I think people need to, you know, at least appreciate them a little bit. I mean, th- there's not much more fun than hooking a big carp. They will put mm-hmm. you to the test, especially if you have a yeah. line, they will, mm-hmm. they will put your skills to the test for sure. Um, mm-hmm. so you know, I want to change gears just a little bit here. I want to talk about one of my other sponsors, High Mountain Seasonings. They they do a lot of different things. I mean, one of the things that we use as fishermen is fish brine. If you've ever smoked trout or um, any kind of fish, fish, fish brine is key, and they make a really good fish brine. There's a couple of different versions you can get. They have a gourmet one. They have a wild trout one. Um, and then a bunch of different seasonings that you can use. So go to highmountainjerky.com or H-I-M-T-N jerky.com to try those out. Um, Troy, I don't know if you've ever used any of their products, but if, if you put some of their gourmet fish seasoning on like a trout filet that you just caught out of the mm-hmm. stream with a little bit of butter, you're going to be in heaven. It's really, really mm, nice. Good. So you'll have to try that out. Um, 
So let's talk about the Rocky Mountain West because I know you travel through here, you fish around this area. You know, what are some of your favorite places when you're coming out here in this in this region? You know, the Rocky Mountain West to to stop and fish. What are some places? Mm-hmm. Uh, number one would be Yellowstone uh, oh, National yeah. Park, uh, and I, and every time I come through there, I'm in limited, you know, obviously with the regulations there. Um, you know, lead, none of this stuff. And, you know, barbless. It's just a, a fun drive always through there. I like fishing around Cody. Um, that's another area that I really enjoyed fishing. Had some great success there. And, and I haven't, you know, I haven't fished down into uh, the Tetons yet. That is one area that I do want to, I do want to fish the Tetons. I guess the dares I want to fish the Tetons and then Granite Reef, below Granite Reef. There you go. Uh, on the North Platte River. And, and just catching, you know, going through Yellowstone Park and catching some of those small trout, it's just uh, such a blast. It's so much fun. And I actually got my, I brought my ranger up one time into uh, Yellowstone Lake and I was driving cross country, put it in there. And I actually couldn't get the thing on plane because of the altitude and the carburation or whatever <laughs> yeah, happened. Yep. I couldn't get it up and, you know, it was kind of interesting. And the, the wind was blowing real. It was a horrible day to be out there. But that was that was kind of fun, you know. That was fun just to see that. I did put it on Shoshone, or I'm sorry, Lewis Lake rather, um, Lewis Lake, and I do like that place for brown trout, uh, and would like to hike into some of the other hard lakes, those other uh, lakes inside the park, and then get out on um, uh, what is that? The uh, uh, Buffalo Bill Reservoir. Yeah, I like to fish. The, I fish the drain. I fish down by the dam a little bit. I've made some casts, you know, because right along the road, and I'd like to fish that lake, um, and then Pathfinder is also one I'd like to fish. So there's and Boyson, you know, these are reservoirs that are on on my list yep. um, for the future. But usually when I drive through, I drive through Yellowstone, um, and that's right, you know, I, I fish in there. Um, so and, and and well, actually, I guess Flaming Gorge is also on my list too. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is you got to, you definitely have to hit Flaming Gorge. They have the, Mm -hmm. well, (laughs) it's just a tied state record. I think the state record Laker is around 53 pounds, something like that. And there's the one, yeah, the one up at Jackson Lake, which is up there by the Tetons is got the same Mm -hmm. size. So they're in a tie. Oh, it does? Yeah. Um, Oh, wow. The the lake trout are just gargantuan (laughs) down here. So. You'll what are the size of lake trout in you? I've been so curious. To, as I know you have to, they have a catch and kill policy on lake trout in Yellowstone Lake. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I don't imagine the angler really go up there, but the size of the lake, the short season, there has to be monsters in there. Oh, there's gigantic ones. I've seen pictures of them up over 40 inches long. I mean, they're, they're, there's big ones in there. And yet, like you said, they're trying to get rid of them because they shouldn't have been in there in the first place. But um, mm-hmm. there's, you know, Buffalo Bill Reservoir has humongous lake trout. Um, oh, it does. Yep. There's there's a number of places in Wyoming with just world class. A lot of people think you got to go to Canada or to Minnesota mm-hmm. to catch big lake trout, and it's like, well, yeah. Wyoming's got as big a lake trout mm-hmm. as anybody, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, and brown trout as well. And um, mm-hmm. there's you know, add to your list uh, Semino Reservoir. It's it's one that you can shore fish you kind of got to watch out for rattlesnakes. There's a few of those around the shoreline, but there's really nice uh, browns, rainbows, and walleye. 
in there. So you definitely want to try that one. Okay. Oh yeah. I have a pin dropped on that. And then that's right. Those are, yeah, that one. And then the one pathfinder. Yeah. Pathfinder. They're all kind of in a line there off the plat. So Mm -hmm. it's part of that plat river system. So you've got Alcova pathfinder and Seminole and those three have really great fishing for walleye rainbows and Browns. Wow. My gosh. That's not my fun. So you'll, you'll have to. Yeah. And it seems like Wyoming kind of flies under the radar, which is good for (laughs) upper Midwest fishing. When I think of like potential, you know, for walleye, lake, you know, especially walleye and lake trout, which is, you know, with the border being closed, Mm -hmm. you know, I think States like, um, well, two state Wyoming and Utah that have actually had some, you know, some experience fishing in that has even smallmouth bass, you know, especially down in Utah, but thinking about walleye Mm -hmm. and lake trout, pike that and musky tiger musky that you know somebody that that's looking to for a little bit of adventure with the border being closed to you know and i've said that in some of my posts and some of my social media things you know, go out there and explore but i think people still don't really realize oh it's the Wyoming, it's, you know street and a flat rod in the stream and it's like, no this is you know from what i'm understanding it more and more you know, some of the great walleye fishing, um, lake trout fishing, and then even the, the eel pot <laughs> that, that's in Flaming Gorge, you know, world-class perfect fish, you know, <laughs> there, yeah, yeah. that still somehow, even with all sorts, it still seems to be like in a flying under the radar. Maybe it's good that it's kind of still kind of remote um, where it's not going to get beat, you know, where I think it'll stay nice and protected. Yeah, it's, you know, for a long time. It's kind of like Fort Peck in Montana. It's off the beaten path enough that you know the you don't get the pressure as much, and so the fish flourish and they get huge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, smallmouth fishing up at Fort Peck is crazy. I mean, the mm-hmm. the fish up there, walleye, pike, you name it, they've lake, yeah. lake trout, they've got it all. So there's definitely well, that lake ones. is. That's a remote lake. Once you get away from the city, <laughs> yeah, you're way out. There. I've been up there one time, and it it's huge, and it's there's so much there. That, I mean, there's just so much water to explore. Yeah, but, it makes you wish you could take it like a month and just mm-hmm. work it over. I I've thought the same thing about a lot of places. You know, you were talking about at the beginning. There's so many places, but there's so little time. That's like. You know, mm-hmm. I want to go fish here. I want to go fish here. I want to go fish here. I run into that where it's like, okay, I only have so much time and I only have so much money. So where am I going to go yeah. this year, you know, and, and try mm-hmm. different things. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a fun game though, going around and fishing. So, um, yeah. So one of the things that Dave and I always ask our guests, because it's kind of a highlight of the show, cause we do like to go and procure protein in the wild. So what's your favorite? fish recipe or fish that you like to catch and how do you prepare it? Oh, um, I see, but I can't say Wally. Well, I guess would be the, the, that'd be the easy answer. So I got to trout when I'm camping and when I'm hiking fresh caught little rainbow trout and, and I like what I like just but in a, in a cast iron, cast iron, you know, over fire and then butter, and then I really like the skin, like oh, the yeah. fresh, the fins, the the skin on trout, which some of the people don't like to like the skin on, you put butter and cast iron and you, and you, you fry up just a pan sized rainbow in there or, you know, or a little brookie or brown or whatever, you know, and oh my gosh, is that 
the skin width in the and and the fins when they fry up crispy like that. Oh, yeah. But the skin with the meat is so good. I know people like to, to peel off the skin, but they're you're missing out. Oh, yeah. That is salt and pepper, and, and just keeping it simple. You know, some maybe a little fresh squeezed lemon, but keeping that—that's one of my just favorite favorite meals. And and every, every time I go camping and, and catching trout, that's like my go-to. You know, just salt, pepper, butter, cast iron cannot beat it. Cast iron is the way to go, man. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> it just adds to the <laughs> yeah. flavor. I don't know why. Oh, it is so. And, and there's just something in the outdoors when you're something that was swimming around and just sitting around the fire and just the, the smell of the fire and everything. It, it tastes different. No matter you go to a restaurant, it's different. It's just something different when you're eating in the outdoors. Absolutely. I think probably my favorite meals growing up were brook trout in the high mountain streams and throwing them in some tin foil with some butter doing mm-hmm. like what you're talking mm-hmm. about, just something simple. And Mm-hmm. After a hard day when you're hungry anyway, it tastes even that mm-hmm. much better. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. so just one, you know, we're over an hour here and I want to be respectful of your time, but I, I want you to tell me about Camp Fish and um, just some of the organizations that you're um, involved in and how people can support those. So if you could tell us a little bit about that. Oh, uh, yeah. Camp uh, Originally Camp Fish, it was first, it was Camp Danworthy. It was in Walker, Minnesota, north central Minnesota. And then my dad, my uncle started up, and they kind of took it over with a nonprofit uh, when they were running in fishermen in the heydays of fishermen, the early 80s. And it ran, I think it closed about 1991, but it had a full curriculum based on the FLP formula, FLPS formula that in fishermen did all the TV shows, the books, the magazine was built around fish location, presentation equals success. And they had different curriculum from level one, level two, advanced, and minis, and, and, and kids went to this year after year, and they learned how to build rods. So that was one of the, I mean, they learned so much about fishing, and so many careers in the fishing industry were launched from Camp Fish. And then it closed down in 91, and then we had a reunion um, about five years ago, and we kind of restarted it a little bit with a, some uh, parent-child sessions, just a little bit, just to kind of do a little soft soft reopening at the original location. And and it was, you know, it was really great, but it was also difficult for my time because I was hosting, you know, traveling to Ontario, filming the show work and that show as well, working on Angling Buzz during the exact same time. I couldn't, I just couldn't, there's only so much, like you said, there's only so much time. So I really couldn't dedicate you know, the time needed to really start it up. But we, you know, we're looking at now with COVID, we kind of had to take a step back with COVID. And and we'll be starting it up again next year, you know, just with some simple day camps and some information to get youth back into fishing based on the original Camp Fish curriculum. I mean, it was so, you talk to anybody that, that went to Camp Fish, either the counselors that worked there or the kids, the youth that went there, it's one of their fondest memories of their entire life. And for many, many people in the industry, it sparked a lifelong passion in the fishing industry. And in a few years ago, we did a, a, what's called the Fishing Careers Workshop. And we did three years of that. And we would have done this past year with the, obviously, with the COVID stuff. Um, we had these live uh, events where we brought in speakers from different parts of the fishing industry to share their knowledge, how they got started in the industry. And and also network. That was one thing that, that the event 
was different from almost like an ICAST where you go there and you meet people that you'll never be able to meet and talk to at sports shows. You know, we had Seth Fighter on there talking about his journey, you know, into the Bassmaster, Jeff Gustafson and Mark Fisher from Rapala and other, you know, fishing guides, people in the fishing industry, people, Brett McComas in the fishing social media side of it. And also what it, what it did afterward where, where people, you know, parents and their child would have access to these figures in the fishing industry and be able to ask them questions that they wouldn't want to answer at, like if they're at a sports show, they don't want to, how do you make money in the industry? Well, those events, how do you make a living in the industry? Those events garnered that talk mm-hmm. that that was, it, it was a place to talk business where you set your, you know, trade business cards, help kids, you know, and network where this, we're not necessarily at sports shows. That's, you know, you want to talk fishing techniques. This is like, how'd you get these sponsors? How'd you get this? How'd you work with this company? What's the best way? That's where it was a great, it was a really, really unique event with Dan Johnson from St. Croix Ross. All right. This is how if Dan Johnson was doing a seminar. He's going to talk about the best rods to use for fly fishing for walleye for bass from the St. Croix family. And then, so how do I get spot? He doesn't want to hear, you know, how do I get sponsored by at those events? That's what he talked about. And how do I get sponsored by St. Croix or another rod company? Right? This is, these are the steps. This is what I'm looking for as a manufacturer specifically for somebody coming on to do sponsorship. These are the different levels, this type of content we're looking for. This is what we expect out of it. So it was a, a really unique, uh, just a really unique event. And then we will be doing it again. Uh, sometime, if, you know, not this year, probably the following year, and and possibly uh, an online, you know, to some extent, um, to some extent, an online version of it. That's awesome. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So how do yeah. so how do people get involved if they were interested in something like that? Like, where would they go? Well, they, if they well, all the updates will probably happen first on my social media. If they follow me on Instagram, you know, at Troy Linder on Facebook, Troy Linder Fishing. Any, I'll be posting first, you know, about any of that information and then, um, you know, share it to the other accounts, but that would, that would be the easiest. Any, any updates, any news on that, I'll be posting on my social media. Awesome. So definitely mm-hmm. go out there and follow Troy. Mm-hmm. If you want to be involved in something like that, I'm like, well, that sounds interesting. I might want to do that. So that <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a lot mm-hmm. of fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, they were. Well, I, I just, again, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, I, I know how busy life is. I mean, it, it's, it seems like in my own life, you know, it's just like, there's always something going on and, you know, coordinating this with me. Thank you for taking the time. Mm-hmm. We're very grateful for the information and I'm really hoping that this show will, you know, continue to inspire people to get out, take their kids fishing and have fun in the outdoors. That's what it's all about. So. Yeah. Amen. And thank you for the opportunity here to share, you know, to share some of my story and, um, and look forward to actually fishing together sometime in the great state of Wyoming. I really, I really like that. Yeah. We'll definitely have to do that. That would be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Well, again, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Ragcast Outdoors. Again, if you want more content, you can go to ragcastoutdoors.com. Follow us on our social medias and definitely go out there, rate, subscribe, and give us a five-star rating. Thank you. 